0: there is one thing that can change an entire feeling of your home and it'll be all over your mood boards your pinterest and your instagram saves that is color so when it comes to choosing the perfect paint how do you find the right colors for every room to make your home flow like a beautiful piece of art i'm laura jackson and welcome to so how do you a new podcast designed to be your yellow pages for interiors I'll be talking to industry leaders to bring you the most practical interiors advice so you can create your dream home regardless of budget. In each episode I'll be delving into a different part of interior design from architecture all the way to the finishing touches and let's face it making your perfect home doesn't come easily and so if you don't learn from my mistakes take it from my guests. In this episode I'm going to be speaking to three people interior designer Luke Edward Hall, the associate editor at both Living Etc. and Home and Garden magazines, Basola Evans, and painter Matthew Collins. They all really know their stuff when it comes to painting and decorating and can definitely help us answer the question. So how do you choose a colour scheme? If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home, I've got John, two very small people, and a dog. And they are not good for keeping things clean especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, no problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well if you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs and ruggable know i love a bargain yes i do so they have kindly offered a 10 percent discount to you guys if you use the code laura 10 that's l-a-u-r-a and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug let me know how you get on First up, Luke Edward Hall.
1: I am an artist and interior designer, and I am perhaps known for my use of bright colour, particularly bright coloured paints, which I use a lot in in my home and in my interior design projects for hotels and restaurants.
0: Luke's Instagram is honestly a feast for the eyes. And although his personal taste is quite maximalist, he is such a colour expert that regardless of the brief, he knows how to transform a room or a house with just a lick of paint. But I want to know where he gets his inspiration from.
1: You know, it sort of can come from all over. I mean, sometimes you see a kind of... I mean, it sounds cliche, but you see in nature as well. I mean, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago when the irises were out, I, I saw this amazing iris near us in the country that was this kind of, like, sugary, kind of lilac-y, kind of pink colour that was amazing and it was sort of like a colour I'd never seen before. So I think, you know, randomly you see the, you see it in nature... Um, from from old books and old interiors
0: you've done a lot of hotels and hospitality locations so what is the main difference between this and painting your home?
1: I think that you know the reason I love working on hotel and restaurant projects is because, they are supposed to be a sort of fantasy. They are, you know, you go to a restaurant for one night, you go to a hotel for a few days, you're not living there. So it's, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing it in a short space of time. And so, it, you know, everything's kind of turned up a level because you're not living with it on a daily basis. And I think, you know, maybe I wouldn't have all of those colours in my own house, only because maybe you wouldn't want to live with them every single day. But that's what's fun about a hotel is you're not, It's it's a, an experience. A fleeting kind of moments.
0: That's an important point though, because you do need to think about the space that you're living in rather than just visiting, and they're two completely different things.
1: Yeah, and I think also, you know, my partner Duncan was was like, mm, maybe we should just do pale blue and pale pink, and I was sort of like, well, that's really boring. But actually, I mean, he said that because, you know, we were thinking when we have guests to stay, we want them to feel relaxed and, and peaceful, and actually, maybe waking up in a kind of bright pink bedroom in the countryside is not actually that relaxing.
0: Later in the episode, I'll be talking to painter Matthew Collins and interiors columnist Basola Evans, so we'll get the full lowdown on the practicalities of choosing and testing different shades. But before you put your overalls on and get the rollers out, there's one thing that Luke wants to clear up. Do you have any do's and don'ts for kind of bold and darker shades? You've kind of... um, We've talked a little bit about the lighter colours, but what about for darker colours in a room?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I love dark... Colors and I think that they can work really well in small spaces. I think there is this kind of that maybe there's a sort of general idea that, that you shouldn't use darker colors in small spaces because they make them feel darker. But I always think that using dark colors in small spaces makes them feel cozy and like I mean I love a room to feel like cosseting. And so I often think you know painting corridors in dark colors or like little downstairs loos in dark colours works really well. I really want, I don't have any corridors, really, but I really want a kind of lacquered, dark brown corridor. That's kind of my wish list in the future. Or even a black. I'd love like a little black downstairs bathroom as well, which I didn't think I would, but I'm getting more into darker colours these days.
0: Now, while I was talking to Luke about the paint itself, I asked him his favorite paint brands, and his answer was really interesting because I was thinking more along the lines of quality, price point, and ease of painting with, but he's got a really good point about choosing brands for their palettes. What are your top tips then on buying paint? You talked about getting lots of samples. Um, Is there anything else that you can tell us?
1: Top tips for buying paint. I mean, there are a few kind of companies that I return to that I think have really good color palettes. You know, I think it's worth looking at different companies because it's sort of different companies specialize in different things. You know, I think Ball is really good for sort of lots of different shades of white and maybe kind of sludgier colors. Um, I really love a company called Papers and Paints because they do really, really punchy colors, which you don't often find with lots of paint brands. But... You know, I also love like a good old sort of Dulux and those kind of paint companies as well, because also I'm really specific about colour. And I think when you're if you just go to a specific company, they might only do sort of five different types of green or something. And actually, if you if you go to the, the big sort of standard companies, you've got all the different shades, which is what I end up doing.
0: And on that note, one of my favorite hacks is asking for the archives of paint companies. I saw a Farrow & Ball color in a friend's parents' living room. It was called Fawn, And I ended up contacting Farrow & Ball to see if they still made this color, and they did. It was an archive color, which means it's from way back when. You can still buy the actual paint. It just means that you can't invest in a five pound sample. So listen, fear not. If you see a paint that you like, contact the brand and see if it's still available to buy. All hope is not lost. Now, something that I really want to know from Luke and our painter, Matthew, who we're going to hear from later on, is whether expensive paints are worth it or not. Here's Luke's take on it.
1: I just don't really know, to be honest. I'm not really like a snob about paint, like I said. Like, I think that I often go to just Tulux and Leyland and I just buy that. Because, like, I'm about the colour. I'm not really about... I think it's all the same, to be honest. Paints that are made in in a way that's good for the environment are, are, you know, obviously really good. And I think... There are loads of developments being made in, in that. But in terms of like paint coverage and things, I think, I think it's all sort of the same. I'm more about getting the color right.
0: Luke's made some really good points about eco paint. And there are lots and lots of brands who use that term, but don't really explain how they're eco or what damage they're doing to the environment. But we're gonna clear that up later on with painter Matthew. Now we know how to approach choosing a colour scheme from Luke, let's get advice from Basola Evans, who knows her timeless from her trends. Basola Evans is the associate editor at Living Etc. and Home and Garden magazine, and she's seen it all when it comes to painting and decorating. Now, I really wanted to pick her brains about how we can make that final decision that we won't regret. When choosing your colour scheme, it's so much more than just the paint on the wall. It's the blinds, the sofa, the carpets, the flooring, the cabinets, the doors, and so on. So if you're drawn towards what's trendy at the time, you can be setting yourself up for a really expensive fall. We've all looked at photographs from homes gone by and thought, oh my God, what was I thinking? So I asked Bazzola, how can we spot a trend and know if it's going to stand the test of time?
2: Yeah, I think that you should be very, with colours, you should be very, Um, wary of jumping into a colour that has not really been part of your colour palette before or it's a colour that you're not too familiar with. If you kind of suddenly like green and you've never liked green before, you need to think about, well, why do I suddenly like green? Is that because I'm seeing loads of it on Instagram? I'm a big believer in slow decorating. Just wait, try and wait three months. If you still like whatever it is, the colour, whatever it is after three months, there may be a chance that it'll have longevity. If you go straight away, you will hate it come six months' time. If it's a trend that you really want to tap into and you think it's a bit of fun, then that's fine, but don't go for a sort of high investment, you know, sort of you know, sort of get a cushion, get a little ornament that you can put on the shelf. Take inspiration from magazines like Living Etc. and Homes and Gardens. Um, you know, so sort of Pinterest, Instagram, we're all on. Just without really detailing what you like, even without even working out what you'd like, just grab pictures of rooms. And then what happens naturally, and it always happens, there will be a kind of theme in every picture. And it'll give you an indication of what you truly like and what you know what you're really into. Trends are so hard to
0: avoid, aren't they? Because we are consumed with what's going on in Instagram and what's in the magazines. So And how do you think that people should go about choosing a colour scheme for a house if they're doing up their house? Because it does feel quite overwhelming that you don't really know where to start. Like, what are your tips
2: on that? Well, there's lots of considerations when choosing the colour. First of all, you need to be honest with yourself about the colours you like. There's no shame. There should be no colour shaming. If you're a neutrals person, you're a neutrals person. You know, don't talk, to people, oh, I'm really boring because I only like, you know, sort of shades of magnolia. It's fine. If that's what you like, that's what you like. Think about the room you want to colour, you, you want to paint. So think about the light in that room. Still, so many people get samples and slap them on the wall. Please, please, please don't do that. Paint it on an A4 piece of paper. You can do several. You can do three pieces of A4 but paint them fully on the A4 paper, stick them on the wall, move them around in the room, check how it works with light, check how it works with natural light, check how it works with your furniture, check how it works with artificial light, move it around in different spaces and just see that you're getting the sort of nuances of that colour. Another thing to what Bazola has said about light, if you're changing your light
0: fittings, bulbs or curtains and blinds in the space after you've painted the room, make sure you do take this into consideration when choosing your shades. You don't want to be testing your paint in a room with white light if you're going to change the bulbs to a warmer light. I know this sounds like a small thing, but it can make a big difference to the colour on your walls. Now, without trying to further complicate your colour choices, sorry, you do want to make sure you're picking paints that complement one another so that your home really flows nicely. And Bazola made a really good point about this.
2: And also, don't design in isolation. I always say to people, you can like a colour in one room, but what is the colour in the room next to it? When you open the door, are they complementary colours? Do they work together? Because when you paint a room, you mustn't design in isolation. So you must think, if I stand in my hallway and open every single door, will everything still connect? And it has to, you know, you don't want to, you know, go from room to room and just think you're in a completely different house. Um, so that's really important, you know, so to think about how everything connects with each other and the, the colours marry and, and work nicely together. Also think about how you want to feel in the room. If you want the room to energise you, there's certain colours that will work better for that. You know, know, if you want it to be soothing and calming.
0: That ties in so nicely with Luke's point earlier about waking up in a hot pink room while out in the countryside. That didn't quite work for them, but, I mean, it might work for you. So long as you've given it thought to the way that you want the room and house to feel, then you're on to a winner. I've made a couple of paint-based mistakes in my time in the form of a mustard kitchen and a dark cozy reading room now they may not sound too awful but on reflection I don't read books unless they're cookbooks um and as for my kitchen I feel like I just slapped the paint on the wall and I didn't really do a sample and live with a sample before really committing as Basila said I should have done a proper patch test because my kitchen felt far too enclosed and we ended up redecorating in a more neutral tone which was an expensive mistake. It's really, really easy to romanticise your home, but we need to design our homes with honesty.
2: You know, and you just have to be honest. It's so important in design that you have that honesty about how you how you truly live. I got to the point where I just thought, you know what, Basola, you're going to have to buy quite a few trays because you know you sit in front of the sofa and eat your dinner. <laughs> you know, and you just need to... Give, you know, stop pretending you don't do this and buy some nice trays so you can have your dinner in in a, a half-decent way rather than having it sort of you know, half-falling off your lap because you're slightly ashamed that you're eating in front of the TV. You get the best designs and the best function if you're completely honest with how you really live and not how the magazines tell you you should live. Obviously,
0: quite a lot of people will be living in, in new builds. And how do you kind of create a feeling of character and age and a space that's been lived in
2: with paint? Have you got any tips on that? Yes. Well, I mean, paint is the single most transformative thing that you can have um, for any home. So, you know, with uh, a new build, the key thing is to create character because often a developer will leave you with this sort of magnolian box this white box and there, here you go, here's your new home, welcome to your new home. And so basically you can, what you can do is, you know, you can sort of choose a colour for a door frame, um, a window frame. If you're lucky to have stairs, you can sort of paint the, the stairs as sort of contrasting colours to the walls. If you have any sort of little features, like, um, say you have a, a, even a modern fireplace, you can make that a focal piece and sort of have paint around that, you can paint that you can paint behind it, you can paint around it. I talked about that whole um dado rail effect in the Victorian property, but you can also create that in a, a modern build. I mean you don't have the, the dado rail but you can still have a sort of split paint effect. So you can have for you know sort of one colour sort of halfway up or sort of maybe you know a third up and then another colour sort of two-thirds go into the ceiling. And that sort of just gives a little bit of interest. You can paint the ceiling, you know, if you're if you're worried about having too much colour on the walls, then paint the ceiling, you know, and that just gives instant interest in a space
0: painted ceilings are so divisive some people absolutely love them me and for some people it's completely alien but they can add such a beautiful feel to a room we'll talk more about finishes and painting techniques in a little while but if you've listened to the choosing a builder episode you may have heard my good friend and builder neil lloyd tell us that so many people leave painting as the last job on their list but from a professional point of view this is the worst thing that you can do because doing a good job of painting is really difficult it's not as simple as it may seem. So if you're not ready to don the overalls and you don't know your frog tape from your tape, hands up, you're better off bringing in the professionals and Brazil has got some pretty sound advice about how to meet your match.
2: Um, I think the key thing is to speak to people. Speak, you know, word of mouth is, I, I think it's the best way of finding any tradesperson you need. So I would say, speak to friends who have had work done recently and who are pleased with the job. But when you speak to painters and decorators, get references. You know, ask to see if you can. I know it's all, you know not always easy, but ask to see their work. You know, if they've done a house down the road or they've done a the room, you know, sort of see it, you know, ask if you can go and see it. If you're going via sort of something like Checker Trades, which many people use make sure you get three quotes, but don't automatically go for the cheapest. Speak to them, see you know the feel you get from them, and but always ask for references, always ask to speak to people that they've worked with and so you can get an idea of their work. And the thing is, if, if a, a painting decorator is, is slightly reluctant to do that, then that probably tells you all you need to know, really. Because sometimes, you know, you just want to... Call someone, get them over, get it done. But it really is worth going through three of them and just, you know, sort of choose them from there. It, it works out better in the long run rather than sort of, you know, doing it quickly, but you get the wrong person and they, you know, they muck up and then, you, then you're back to square one.
0: Again, the three quote rule keeps cropping up, but it's so important across the board. And I suspect there will be plenty more people who are going to say the same, regardless of the topic at hand. I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique, functional and beautiful. After years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother in law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. Glassette is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. From artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand blown glassware for dinner parties, we've considered every moment of a life well lived at home. My favourite thing about Glassette is that you can make a wish list for practically anything. Whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean I don't know about you but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glassette.com and follow us at Glassette on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer, and that's by our sponsor Grass & Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass & Co premium CBD oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious, naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, Calm, Rest and Ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep. But they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful, tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code laura twenty five. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website grassandco.com and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. We've spoken about how to choose and use colour in your home, but let's talk about actually doing a DIY job. We aren't all in the position to be able to afford to hire someone for everything. And actually, maybe it's something that you do want to get stuck into and that you're willing to learn. I brought in painter Matthew Collins to share with us the real professional side of a paint job. Matthew has had a very interesting career in interiors, which has afforded him to acquire a real breadth of skill and knowledge in the world of decor.
3: Okay, so I have uh, a decorative arts company which specializes in making everything from uh, polished plasters to wallpapers to uh, incredible sort of hand-silvered glass and very glamise. And we also practice a lot of uh, traditional uh, decorative paint finishes from marbling to uh, wood graining and do lots of gilding and mural work. And we're lucky enough to work all over the world, so we have clients everywhere from Azerbaijan to Kuwait to Massachusetts to to Manchester. So um, that keeps us pretty busy, basically.
0: Did you first start out in the industry as a painter and decorator? Is that how you started?
3: I guess the the truth is yes, but uh, I was working for a specialist decorating company. So I was able to very quickly transition from putting paint on, uh, which would then be decorated over the top of, to actually being the person who does the special bits and pieces but it, it it still requires me to have a very in-depth uh, understanding and technical experience with all f- forms of, of of painting from undercoating to base coating to emulsions and all the rest of it that goes along with Uh, the wonderful world of decoration
0: Matthew really is the creme de la creme of decorating and actually if this was bake off this would be the technical challenge part the bit where everyone gets a bit lost in translation and the seemingly simple instructions while painting it may seem like you're choosing a color pouring it into a tray and putting it on the wall there are loads of nuances and hacks that most people don't know about but they make all the difference the first part of that is prepping a wall because, be honest with yourself, have you ever properly prepped a wall for a DIY paint job? No, me neither. Either way, Matthew is about to homeschool us.
3: Okay, well, there's so there's properly and then there's what you can get away with. So properly, you would start by um, washing the wall down and you'd use something like sugar soap, which is uh, you buy as a little mixture, pop it into a bucket of water and with a sponge, you wash the walls down. Once that's dry... Uh, you 'd probably give the walls a really good sand, and if there 's any making good, so if there 's any holes or cracks you 'd cut those cracks open with a knife and fill those cracks and holes with some filler, give that a good old sand, and potentially you need to give it a second fill because often the filler shrinks as it as it dries, and give it another sand and then some would argue that you need to undercoat the whole wall. I would argue that you you can get away with just undercoating the bits that you did all the filling on. So you're you're basically trying to create a consistent porosity across the whole surface. So it all so when the paint goes on, it doesn't soak in really quickly in one spot where you did the filling and stay wet in, in other areas. And then, having done your spot priming, then you're able to start um the painting properly.
0: Okay, and what's the just getting away with it prep that we could do?
3: Well, I think that what so the just getting away with it prep is that you just uh, wipe away the the cobwebs, and you do a bit of filling on a couple of holes wherever they exist, and um, give that a light sand, and then just get the paint out and, and start painting. What you might find is where you did the filled the hole, you might find the paint dries a slightly different colour or a different sheen on that section, and you'll just have to put a couple of extra coats on. Um, and you'll you'll pretty much get to the same point.
0: Would you say that you need a wall primer if you are... Why do we really need primer is what I'm trying to say.
3: You need primer because primer usually has a much better adhesive quality to it, so it'll stick to the the surface, and it'll get the wall. Ready for the paint that you're going to put on after that, and it just means that whatever whether you're putting an emulsion or a satin over the top of that primer, you know it's going to lock on. The only other time to use a a primer or an undercoat across an entire wall would be if you had, say, a a red feature wall in your bedroom, and you're changing the all the all the wall colour in your bedroom to, say, a duck egg blue or something like that. Then you'd probably want to undercoat that red feature wall first. Because by putting a single coat of undercoat on that wall, you'll obliterate that red much more effectively than just trying to make that wall the same colour as the rest of the room because you might end up putting five coats of paint on, whereas the rest of the room only needs one and a half or two.
0: Let's talk about... Finishes of paint and what the differences are. I sometimes get stuck on, like, what's the difference between your satin and your matte? What can go on woodwork versus what goes on the wall? Then you've got your glosses and your line washes. Can you just talk to us about some of the finishes of paint?
3: Okay, so the traditional way of thinking about it is that you put gloss on all your woodwork because your woodwork is the bit that you're going to come into contact with the most, that you're going to slam your a vacuum cleaner into your skirting board and you're going to knock into your architrave as you're walking through the door and then the walls are going to get a bit of handling so people go for a satin on the walls because that's nice and you know if you get a few grubby finger marks you can wipe them off with a a damp cloth and then you put uh, your mat on the ceiling and on the cornice because it reflects the least amount of light and it it gives a nice sort of soft feel to the room and often those are the areas of a, a room which Maybe the least flat, and the mat will hide uh, you know a world of, of sins. But in a more you know contemporary context, not many people are putting gloss onto woodwork anymore. Most people would go for an eggshell or a satin sheen level because it just feels a little softer, doesn't feel so aggressive, feels less municipal, maybe. And then a lot of people are going for matte finishes on the walls and on the ceiling.
0: This brings me on to something I'm really interested in, eco-paints. I don't know about you, but I hadn't truly considered what makes an eco-paint and it's actually become a bit of a buzzword within marketing. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was an eye-opener to more people than just me, fingers crossed. But what is the difference between a normal paint and an eco-paint?
3: You know, traditionally everyone thought, oh, eco-paints, they're full of mud and they're just rubbish and you slap them on the wall and, and you, first time you touch them, it sort of starts powdering off, and you know, and they you can't wipe them down, and they're they're hideous, and all the rest of it. To so now being really, you know, the technology is there, the science is, is behind it. Yeah, maybe some of the durability factor is missing, but I always think that you know everyone gets a little bit obsessed with durability, and actually, most people I know are more likely to repaint their house before they start actually washing the walls down to make the you know the walls nice and clean. But I mean, I think. Even the paints which are not branding themselves as eco are being forced into actually, you know, those brands are being forced into making cleaner and cleaner products. And that's why you'll start seeing low VOC written on um, all the tins of the paint, whether you're buying it at B&Q or Leyland's or your local brewers.
0: What does VOC stand for?
3: So that's Volatile Organic Compounds. So when you paint, you put your paint on the wall, It uh, as it's drying, all the VOCs are leaching out of the paint and becoming volatile and floating around. And so you're breathing them in and you're, yeah, you're just slowly poisoning yourself.
0: Another thing to know alongside VOCs is the fact that when we wash down our brushes, rollers and trays, the water is going straight down into our water ecosystem. So while we think we're just cleaning up, we're flushing those nasty chemicals elsewhere too. One super eco paint that I love is Lime Wash. And once you've watched the videos on how to actually apply this paint, it's really easy. It's got a beautiful finish and it definitely adds a bit of depth and texture to your walls. I couldn't help but ask Matthew's opinion on it as well.
3: Lime Wash brings a whole world of ambience into your home and has the the benefit of being virtually 100% environmentally friendly and It usually has a soft degree of movement through the walls, so you actually achieve that sort of broken color effect without having to do any of the effect yourself. Just in the in the process of actually brushing that paint onto the walls, you get a a, a slightly cloudy color variation, which occurs, and it's beautiful. The matte, and it will look, you know, artwork looks fantastic against it, and um, and you're doing something good for the planet at the same time.
0: Earlier in the episode, you'll remember me asking Luke if expensive paints are worth it. And I had to ask Matthew to see if we can get a definite answer on this. So here's Matthew's take on pricey paint.
3: I think uh, I would be silly if I didn't say, yes, they are worth it. But the truth is, when it comes down to the fundamentals, that most expensive paints or more expensive paints are more opaque. So they cover better, um, which means they have a higher density of pigment in them. Um, which means that you require to put, re- you require less coats um, and you get better colors. Uh, the paint is often thicker as well, so you can uh, water it down so it goes the actual paint goes much further. So at the end of the day, you can end up saving money by buying a cheap paint but needing to put 20 coats of it on as opposed to buying a really beautiful high quality paint and only, only needing two coats to get where, where you want to be. So you've save yourself time and money.
0: The jury's out on the expensive paint front. I think both Matthew and Luke make some really good, valid points. But there is a little hack that Matthew has about paint that is really useful, regardless of the amount that you're paying for it.
3: Something to avoid, a lot of people do is they buy the paint, they get it home, they crack the tin, uh, the lid off the tin, get the brush out, straight into the tin and start painting. Almost all paint needs to be thinned. That means that if it's a water-based paint, you want to put a little bit of water in. If it's an oil-based paint, you might put a little bit of white spirit into the into the mix. And when you ease the paint like that, you'll you'll find it flows better and the whole process of painting is far more enjoyable.
0: We talked about um paint finishes and about how decorative paint is Is definitely becoming a bit more trendy in the market. Can you give us any trend forecasting ideas in the paint world?
3: So I guess at the moment, one of the hottest trends is, going back to what you were saying before about gloss paint, is lacquer. So that that whole idea of um, beautiful Chinese and Japanese lacquers, which are centuries-old sort of tradition, and people are bringing that into their homes in a more contemporary way in um, lacquering walls and ceilings. And a really good hack for that is rather than going to all the trouble of rowing out into the middle of a lake and putting a hundred layers of, of lacquer on and making sure there's no dust around, you can actually bring that into your own home by, uh, using an emulsion in a beautiful color to so go for a really deep red or a blue or a green or something really fantastic. And then putting three or four coats of just a gloss varnish over the top of that. And rather than achieving something that just looks like a gloss paint, You'll have this amazing depth, so you feel like you can look into the colour and looking into the on the wall, which will just give your room an amazing ambience, especially in the evening when you've got some low-level lighting on and you've got a glass of wine in your hand.
0: OK, let's talk tools and not the power kind. Most of us would employ a roller and get the job done that way, with brushes to cut in and out and do the fiddly bits. But while Matthew agrees, he's got a few handy tricks up his sleeve that will really elevate your paint job.
3: My number one hack is... If you are putting a different color or a different paint on your wall and onto your skirting board, for example, what I would say is paint your skirting board first and then mask the top of your skirting board out with some lovely, good quality masking tape. And then before you start painting, putting the paint on the wall, use some of the skirting color to paint along the edge of the the masking tape, where that masking tape meets the wall and the skirting board. Just a very dry, quick brush across there. Allow that to dry, then paint your wall. And you'll find that when you pull that that tape off, there'll be no bleed whatsoever. And you have an absolutely incredible crisp line, and you'll look like the best painter in town. And other paint hacks, uh, I would say, when you're using a roller tray, for example, you can buy a liner for that tray so that rather than having to wash the tray out, you just peel. It's almost like a sort of bit slightly thicker than a piece of cling film. Peel the liner out, let it dry up, put it in the bin. And then you don't have to go through that washing out the roller tray, you know, flushing loads of horrible paint down the drain situation.
0: I love the tray liner hat. Isn't that brilliant? It's a bit like a nappy liner if you've got a reusable nappy. So brilliant and one less job to do on the cleanup front. Win-win. So we've used a roller, we've used a brush. How do we get rid of all the paint properly?
3: Well, if you've used a roller, unless you've spent a lot of money and you fancy wasting about 400 litres of water, the best thing to do is probably to allow it to dry out and then to dispose of it. If you think you're going to use it again, I'd wrap it up in a plastic bag and tape it up with some tape so it's nice and airtight. And technically that could last for a few weeks. Brushes, no one cleans brushes properly these days, unfortunately, but I would... Give it a really good rinse out. Uh, Use a wire brush to make sure you get all the sort of nasty paint which has started to dry inside the ferrule of the brush. And then make sure you leave them to dry with the bristles hanging down so that all the water or white spirit or whatever you're using to wash them is actually draining out of the brush. And that's why a lot of people make the mistake they stick the brush in a jar upside down, the bristles pointing up. And then the water sits inside there and it rusts out the ferrule. And then the next time you go to use the brush, the bristles are falling out and lumps of rust dropping into your paint. So do it properly.
0: I think we are all a little bit guilty of drying the paintbrush the wrong way around. Right, so we've made a list of all the professional hacks. So let's clear up the shopping list to make sure that we've got everything that we need before the painting
3: begins. On the most basic level, you need sandpaper, filler. You need a dust sheet to make sure you're not chucking the paint all over the floor. And you need a brush and a roller. That's five, but you do need the paint on top of that. So that's six.
0: Also, to add to Matthew's list, tray liners. I feel like you're going to be really grateful to have them in the clear-up operation. So I think let's call it seven. You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive. And our sponsor, Archive, has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasise about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson Country Trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore sdg and you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting, I mean literally that's my dream shopping list and for a limited time if you use the code laura10 that's l-a-u-r-a and the number 10 you will get a 10% discount. Great right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. So hopefully now you've got a clearer idea of how to use and choose colors in your home, what you need on your shopping list, and of course, a load of hacks if you're the chief painter. Thank you so much to all of our guests for appearing on the podcast. We've posted all of their social links in the show notes of this episode in case you wanna go and check out their work over on Instagram. For more advice, make sure you check out our Instagram page at You Podcast and listen to our other episodes as they tie in very nicely together. Thank you so much for listening, I'm Laura Jackson and that's how you choose a color scheme. See you next time.